In the following live session recording, Anthony George, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Atlanta, Georgia, leads the discussion on our inadequacy in preaching. Every preacher realizes their personal inadequacy when it comes to the demands of preaching week in and week out. Anthony George, Associate Pastor and frequent preacher at First Baptist Church Atlanta, will unpack helpful disciplines which can enhance both preparation and preaching as we depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim God's Word. Let's join Anthony now. This is a first for me to ever speak to preachers about preaching. Depending on how this goes, it may be the last, the <laughs> last time I do it. But to give you a little bit of the history as to how this came about, Larry Wynn called me several months ago and asked me if I would speak at a breakout session at the Go Georgia conference and Joan uh, gave me the option of uh, two of them. And uh, I said, what would I speak on? He said, preaching. I said, oh, no, I'm not the person to go talk to preachers about preaching. He said, well, let's, let's talk through this. And so he gave me a little counseling session. He said, pour your heart out to me. I said, well, I feel very inadequate in my, in my own preaching. I feel inadequate as a preacher in general. And I've always struggled with a sense of my personal weakness and limitation. And if I struggled with it up until 2012, it got compounded when I moved to Atlanta to stand in Charles Stanley's shadow. You want to talk about feeling inadequate. And, um, you know, he did a little bit of uh, listening as I poured out my heart on that. I mean, this is a church where people just want to hear him, by the way. I mean, really, they just want to hear him. You could bring Franklin Graham in, you could bring in uh, T.D. Jake, you could bring in Jim Simbel, it doesn't matter. They want to hear him. And so the first few times I preached, um, people, you know, I'd been introduced as a new associate guy, and we would have people pull up on the parking lot, get to the front door, ask if Dr. Stanley's preaching, no, it's the new guy. People would, in large numbers, go get in their car and drive, no. drive home. Wow. It was, and that gets reported back to you, so that'll really help you overcome that. <laughs> <laughs> and then we count our attendance, you know, meticulously every seat. Uh, it's theatrical seating, so we count the empty seats, and that tells us how many were filled. And the, the attendance would drop six or seven hundred between the Sundays he preached, Sunday, Sundays I would preach. So, um, so I said, Larry, all this to say, I feel inadequate to talk about preaching. I'm in a crisis of identity right now. He said, well, there's your topic. There's your topic right there. Inadequacy in preaching. He said, do you think you're the only preacher out there who wrestles with his own sense of inadequacy or limitation? I said, probably not. He said, then, then talk about that. So that's how this whole thing came about. Oh, wow. is a, I'm not going to use you as counselors. I'm going to. I'm just. I'm going to encourage you. I've been encouraged. Now I want to encourage you, because um, inadequacy can actually be a gift. It can be something God uses in our lives to create more of an awareness of His power to be conveyed through our lives and through the messages that we preach. You know, when you feel inadequate in God's work, it puts us in good company, doesn't yes. it? Yes. If there's one thing that we see over and over again when we survey the, the calling of God on great servants in the Bible, you take Moses, for instance, it's almost like a, a story that's repeated every time God calls someone to a significant task. Immediately that person is arrested by their own sense of, Lord, I can't do this. That's right. uh, Moses was even saying, I think you've picked the wrong person, basically. 
And uh, that's how I feel often. I felt that way when I was 16 years old and started wrestling with the calling. And I feel that way today at, at 50. But by looking into the, the transparency of these accounts in Scripture, I realize I am in good company when I feel incapable of rising to the occasion that God has called me to, to uh, in, in which God has called me to preach. So I want to give you some, just some highlights about inadequacy as a preacher. And the first one is this. Inadequacy forces me to depend on God. It forces me to depend on God. Now this, this is what I strongly believe, that, that if a preacher loses his sense of personal inadequacy as a preacher, I think that preacher's in a dangerous place. Because I don't know if I can say that I've met preachers who are completely self-reliant, but what I can say is, trying not to be judgmental, I've met a few that I felt like were pretty self-reliant, self-confident. In other words, I got this thing down. I'm going to tell you what I do at my church is what I do. I spend this many hours in preparation every week. I rely on this for my illustrations, and I do, it, I do this week after week after week. Apparently, God's blessed it because our church has exploded. And you hear people talking like they've, they've got it down to this science, this art, this craft, and you, 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 you will not hear them mention their desperate dependence on God. Now, there are many who do, but I feel like when someone thinks he's got it down, he's learned the trade, he doesn't need God anymore to pull it off. And this sense of personal inadequacy is our built-in reminder that we do need God to pull it off because we can't pull it off and get the results that we need to get with eternal consequence. So it forces us to depend on God. So here's a kind of a base passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 where Paul was writing the Corinthian believers and he says, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you, listen to this, in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now that is a classic passage on what the goal of every one of us should be. And that is that people's faith should never be vested in the, the oratorical ability, the personal charisma or personality of the pastor or the preacher, but rather exclusively in Jesus. Mm. Paul disavows any claim to excellence as a communicator. He said, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom. He says, I came in weakness, in fear, in trembling. He was using those words to describe his preaching and his whole approach to the ministry when he was evangelizing and starting the church there in Corinth. And here's what he also had to contend with. So he acknowledges, I'm inadequate, I feel weak, and I feel my limitations. You know, weakness, fear, trembling. But in 2 Corinthians, he even quotes what his critics said about him. <laughs> 
He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10, he says, For my critics say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. Now that'll bless your heart right there. Now that's, that's, you know, that's before social media. Imagine that getting out on social media. They're not just attacking his doctrinal beliefs. They're saying his very physical presence, whether it's his stature or his face or uh, his, the kind of robe that he wore, who knows? His physical presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. So they, they said he's a terrible communicator. Wow, that, that encourages me today to think that Paul had detractors who said those kinds of unfiltered things about him. So here are some of our challenges as we cope with our, our sense of inadequacy. And uh, I know you'll relate to these as I share them. The, the, the first one is this. I am often you know, paralyzed with a sense of inadequacy when I'm reminded that a preacher is a sinner preaching to sinners. Yeah. A sinner preaching to sinners. This to me is the hardest part about preaching. It's dealing with the awareness of who I am and the fact that nothing within me qualifies me to stand before others and call them to repentance. There are many times when I know I've got to address something because it falls within the passage of the, of the of this text and it's something I'm either dealing with now or it's something that I've battled with in the past and I'd rather not talk about that because I feel disqualified to address it. I know none of you know what I'm talking You know, you can't relate to this. But uh, when you know you've got to talk about this and it hits close to home because it's a, it's a struggle in your own life, it's a reminder, who am I but a sinner preaching to other sinners? And that can cause me to feel very... Uh, inadequate for the task but I'll tell you one thing it does it helps me speak to sinners differently when I'm reminded that I am one you never speak down to them you always realize I'm in the same boat they are but it doesn't change the fact that I sometimes feel ill-equipped to address something because of my own sinful condition uh, another challenge that reminds me of inadequacy is that before I can preach on a text, I have to yield to that text. Mm -hmm. I have to let that text work on me. Often you, you'll hear people, mainly older people in the church, who come up and say, Preacher, that message really got all over me today. And I try to remember to always say, Yeah, but it got all over me before it got all over you. Because the scripture that I'm preaching has to get its grip on me before I can release it and it get its grip on them through the sermon that I'm preaching. So there's this real issue of submitting to the authority of God's Word before you can walk into the pulpit and convey it with freedom knowing that you've yielded to it. Here's another challenge when we're wrestling with inadequacy. It's because Many times we will have to speak to issues that are present in our life, and I'm not just talking about necessarily sin, but just challenges that, that we might be dealing with that aren't sinful in their essence. But sometimes they're not just present in, in the preacher's life, they're present in his family's life, his nuclear family's life, the life of his parents or his wife's parents. It, it could be alternate lifestyle issues, it could be a lot of things, and you know some of the things are a divorce, passage you want to talk about it's very difficult to address 
issues from the text when you know there are so many challenges you and your own family are sorting through. That can really cause you to feel inadequate, especially if you've got children and you're going to preach on you know, tips for raising children out of Ephesians and, uh, and, and you know you have just put your children in a bigger fishbowl than they already were in because you're going to tell others how to raise their kids. It, it's, it causes us to feel inadequate. I'll tell you another thing that I've always struggled with in, in you know, being a pastor and preacher <coughs> is that um, what you know about people um, shapes how you preach to them. Does that make sense? <laughs> By that I mean the longer you're in a place, the more you get to know the, the, the people and, and what, they, what they're like, what their opinions are, the challenges they deal with in their families, and the, the more interaction you have with them, whether it's in counseling or visiting in their homes. And yes, most pastors and smaller churches end up having to get a lot, get, you know, get, get down in the weeds of personal problems still. And it's very hard to go up to the pulpit on a Sunday morning and you've got a message on your heart and you know what it's going to address and you see that family back there and you know that that husband and wife were just sitting in your office this week pouring their heart out about a struggle and there's somehow that's going to come up in your sermon. You're like, I hope they don't think I'm aiming this at them, but it really was what I'm being led to preach. Those things cause us to step back for a moment and say, Lord, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this. That's inadequacy. Because you're saying, God, I need you to help me get through this very awkward moment as a pastor, as a preacher. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul reminds his readers, and I'm so glad it's in the, in the scriptures for us. He says, we do not preach ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus the Lord. And who are we? He says, we are your bondservants for Jesus' sake. So in this in this fight with our personal inadequacy as preaching, I want to remind you of these words of Paul where he's saying it is not about us as the messenger, it is all about the message that we preach. God knew we would be limited. God knew what our struggles and challenges would be. And he still called you to do what you're doing. It's not about the preacher, it's really all about the Lord. And that is liberating to me. I believe any preacher who does not struggle with and acknowledge his own weakness and limitations risks forfeiting God's power on his life. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to risk forfeiting the power of God. Yeah. If God's got power, I want it to flow through me. If God's got power to give, <coughs> let it fall on me, dear God. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say, pass on by and hand it to somebody else. I want to say, while you're handing it out, here's my cup, Lord, please fill it up. Mm -hmm. And if becoming cocky and self-reliant mm -hmm. would cause God to pass me by and pour it out into someone else's cup, God, strike me, arrest me, put me on my knees, because I want to be humbled if that's the prerequisite for getting your power. <coughs> and we need it in our preaching. So... It's not about your gifts. It's not about your personality. It's not about your craft, your skill. All of those things are tools that God can use, but ultimately it's about the power of the Holy Spirit in our preaching. Years ago, I heard a preacher tell this story, and it was about a Native American. It wasn't disparaging, but you have to be careful in this day and time about using references like that. But he talked about 
uh, back in the in, in the, on the frontier, there was a revival going on in a church, and someone got the Indian chief to come to the revival meeting. And so he came to the revival meeting. The preacher stomped and snorted and screamed and yelled and spit and preached hellfire and called people to Jesus. And uh, after the service was over, the fellow who had asked the uh, the Native American tribal chief uh, to assess the uh, the worship service, the the Indian looked at him and said, "Strong wind." Loud thunder, no rain. And I, I have never forgotten that because I thought, I think about all of the times I've stomped, snorted, yelled, jumped up and down. When it was all said and done, did the rain fall? Did the rain fall? Strong wind, loud thunder, but no rain. And would you agree with me that our desire is for the rain to fall, for the showers of, of God's blessing to fall? when we deliver his message. The power is in the word. That's right. The power comes from the Holy Spirit. And the power really is all about putting the focus on Jesus. I happen to believe that when we're honest about our sense of inadequacy, it will go a long way even in endearing people to us. When we confess that publicly, when we say, you, you all need to pray for me this morning, this is a challenging message for me. When you acknowledge things like that, when you even say, I don't feel qualified to preach this because I feel like I've got my own repenting to do. That type of transparency does a lot to endear people to what you have to say because that says he can relate to us. He's not there yet. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, listen to this, not that we are adequate in ourselves, to consider anything as coming from ourselves. But listen to this. He says, our adequacy is from God. So when you're thinking about the topic of this seminar, remember 2 Corinthians 3.5, the last sentence is, our adequacy is from God. I'm inadequate, but God is adequate. And if I will admit my inadequacy, he will pour out his adequacy simply because I acknowledge the lack of mine. Here's a warning from Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3 to every preacher. It wasn't a warning to preachers, but I want to apply it to all of us today. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And God has a way through our, our own awareness of limitations as preachers of reminding us that we are nothing and he is everything. And yeah. just to when I get to thinking I'm something, God has a way of bringing me back to show me I'm really not. Can you say that one more time? The, the scripture, Galatians 6, no, 3. What you just said, if, if you think you're something, when you're nothing. God has a way of bringing you to a place of reminding you that you're really nothing. You know, in other words, when you get that little strut in your step, when you start becoming self-reliant and you get a few compliments on that sermon, they say, oh, you know, these many CDs, in our church we have a bookstore, you know, these many CDs have sold, and you get a little bit, mm -hmm, that's what I'm saying. And so when you get, when you get to thinking that way, God has a way of reminding you, don't think for one moment that you're something. That's right, that's right. Uh -uh. Just because you sold some CDs, the guy you're working for has sold millions and millions, and you get excited because you sold 12. <laughs> God has a way of keeping it real, doesn't he? <laughs> all right. So here's another thing I want us to think about. In advocacy, all that was, in advocacy keeps us dependent upon God. So it can be a good gift God uses, right? 
The second main thing I want us to think about today is this. In inadequacy, when I acknowledge my inadequacy as a preacher, and this could be true in any area of life, but we're talking about preaching right now. It implies, it reveals that you are aware of the spiritual battle in which you're engaged. I'm going to tell you something. Anybody who is overly confident, self-reliant, or cocky as a preacher is, is letting you know they don't know the real battle we're fighting. That's right. When you know the real battle you're fighting, you realize there's nothing in my hands I can bring to that field of combat. That's right. We're talking about spiritual battle here. Ephesians 6 says it's not with flesh and blood, right? But it's with principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. My favorite passage on this is 2 Corinthians 10, where he says that the, our warfare, the, the battle is a spiritual battle. Therefore, we can't bring carnal weapons to a spiritual battle. To fight a spiritual battle, you have to be equipped spiritually to win it. If not, you're just deceiving yourself thinking you're winning. So when I consider the fact that I, as a preacher, am handling the holy words of Almighty God, and I am trying to impart those holy words of Almighty God into the souls of fellow sinful human beings, and that the chasm between me and them in the task God's called me to do is filled with every force of darkness that wants to prevent that exchange from taking place. I believe that that is the one moment that Satan unleashes his hostility against is that moment of preaching when you and I as preachers are trying to bridge the gulf to get that text, the seeds that Jesus talked about that the sower sows on the soil, to get that across the gulf, which is a spiritual battlefield. Praying to God, it'll, it'll lodge into fertile soil when it lands the distance between there to there. It's, it's overwhelming to me. But when I acknowledge that I'm inadequate, it's another way of saying, I'm aware this battle requires more than what I've got. It takes what God has mm -hmm. to fight this one. Hey, we're trying to overcome a curse. The Genesis 3 curse, right? We're overcoming carnal resistance. We're battling with not only carnal resistance from the curse, we're dealing with demonic resistance. You believe demons are still active today? I do. Every time you preach, every time I preach, we are coming into conflict with attitude, yes. with apathy, with addictions, with strongholds, with rebellion, with cynicism, with prejudices of all kinds, with anger. All of these things are present. And let me tell you something. Everything that's present outside the church in the world is inside the church. I'm telling you. Ministry will wake you up. <laughs> I remember becoming the pastor of the first church in Waverly, Virginia. I was in seminary at Southeastern. Little white picket fence community. Little white clabbered siding church with cedar-shaped shingle on the steeple. I mean, it looked like a postcard. Little Cape Cod parsonage next door. I thought, man, this is, this is Mayberry. 
And you know how long that lasted? That lasted about a week. <laughs> I'm talking about drug addiction, alcoholism, incest, all ch child abuse, theft. It, church didn't have a 50 people. Yeah, all that stuff was going on. <laughs> and then the more you get involved in the community, what I'm saying is it's all in there. Yeah. It's yeah. all in there. And that's okay as long as we realize that our wit, our creativity, our illustrations, our skill, our vocabulary, our use of technology in our sermons, our fancy PowerPoint, our use of some movie clip, our hipness, none of these is a match for the spiritual forces we're contending with. None of them. Can God use all of that? Yes, but it takes God on all of that. God through all of that. Otherwise, we're just playing in the midst of a fierce battle. The battle is over your preparation time. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, how difficult is it for you as a pastor to study? You say, well, I've never had a problem with study. You know, I remember hearing Dr. I, I went to Criswell College and Dr. Criswell, great hero of mine, you know, and pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas. I mean, a lot of young pastors never even heard of him. But he used to say, I give all my mornings to God. I start at the Y at 6.30 and do my workout and go back to the study, put on my pajamas, and I don't emerge until 1 o'clock in the afternoon. He'd share this at all these pastors' conferences they would have. And you'd see these pastors out there going, yeah, all right. <laughs> Your mornings, how you do that in a parsonage? You know what I'm saying? When somebody, you live right there on the main drag by the church, they don't respect your mornings with well, we, you and I know that, that, that preparation time, whether it's from 7 to noon or whether it's Saturday from 3 to 9 p.m., <laughs> whatever it is, the devil finds a way yeah. to interrupt sure. your yes, focus sure. on getting ready. Yeah. Hmm? Come on. Not only that, the battle is for your concentration. I believe the Lord would have me fixated on what I'm supposed to be delivering to His people. All week long, it should own me. It should be an obsession. But how many things compete for my concentration? Mm. You got any staff? Staff infection is competing. You got you know committees. You got active deacons. Best deacons are inactive ones, but active. I'm just kidding. They're great deacons. You got trustees, elders, whatever you call. Them. I'm just telling you, there will always be a battle for preparation for your mental concentration, and then the battle is really on in that moment of truth. Yeah. The moment of delivery. Now you and I, if I took time to get testimonies right now, you could tell me about crises right when you were finishing a message or trying to start on your next series. You could tell me about Saturday night interruptions. You could tell me about Sunday morning World War III at your house. Oh, man. And see, people, it happens to church folks, but it really happens to preachers. You could tell me about something that happened on the way to church one Sunday when you were ready to deliver a message you felt really good about. And you know what? Does it stop there? No. It's out on the parking lot. When you get out of your car, the devil's got somebody there. When you go down the hallway, some, you've got this message on your heart and somebody's going to come up and tell you something they're mad about. Come, I need a witness right here. Uh, even when you get up, when you're sitting there getting ready to preach, the sound system's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Come on. On and on it goes. Do you think any of this is coincidental? I have to believe there is spiritual battle. Yes. 
It's invisible to the human eye. That's right. But it is nonetheless real. So we cannot lose sight of the warfare that is involved in our lives as preachers. Not just in our walk with God, which is real, and that that's the most important, but I'm telling you there is warfare in your life from Satan, from demons, and powers of flesh just because you're a preacher. That's right. If you weren't a preacher, you wouldn't have some of the no. warfare that goes on. That's right. When we step into the realm of God's calling to communicate the eternal Word of God to people to make a difference, we have invited the onslaught in. And the only way to get a reprieve from it is to walk away. That's why so many pastors walk away. They get to a point and say, I can't do this anymore. But I want you to know, yes, you can. Yes. Because greater is He who yes. is in you than anyone who is against you. He is greater. So please remember this. The ability to attract a crowd does not necessarily set people free. The effectiveness of an entertaining and inspiring worship service does not necessarily change a life. Staff can give each other high fives when you pull off some big cliffhanger service, but whose life was changed because of it? The message that is perfectly crafted and impeccably delivered is not a guaranteed chain breaker for somebody's destructive habit. Mm -hmm. Be careful about resting in your methods, your weekly habits, your routines, your perceived ability to preach well. Realize all is vain unless oh, the Spirit of the Holy One comes mm -hmm. down. That's right. You know, one of the most convicting <laughs> passages to me about preaching is Matthew uh, chapter 17 where this man whose son was demon-possessed came to Jesus and said he throws himself in the water, throws himself in the fire, and said, I took him to your disciples and they couldn't do a thing for him. And, it, and Jesus was upset, wasn't he? He said, you unbelieving generation, how long do I have to put up with this? Jesus said, come out, and he came out. <laughs> the, the, the point is, how many people are there who could say, well, we came to hear that preacher, but nothing, nothing changed. Mm -hmm. I, what I have to realize is I can't change anybody. That's right. So no matter how I feel about what I have to say, I need to remember that during my preparation and certainly wherever I'm standing before I stand up to speak, mm -hmm. I say, dear God, this won't happen unless you do it. Mm -hmm. I did it just a minute ago. I, I spoke to a gentleman I met at an associational meeting. He sang for the associational meeting. I said, man, I'm scared to death about speaking to these preachers right now. I, I, I was tossing and turning all night last night. Oh, I really was. I was I, looking over all my notes, driving down here like, Lord, Lord, please help me. Lord, Lord, please help me. And you know, I don't ever want to lose that sense of, true. dear God, I don't have what it takes. Please help me. I hope if I'm still preaching when I'm nine, I still have that childlike need to cry out to Him and say, please God, I can't do this. But you can. Here's, here's uh, another thing I want you to remember. Inadequacy, or my sense of it, must never become an excuse for stagnation. Now what do I mean by that? Well, you know, it's easy to get comfortable talking about and thinking about your own limitations, my limitations, and 
say, well, I know I'm not the best preacher out there. I, I know, you know, I'm just a little country preacher. I used to say that a lot. I'm just a country preacher born in Mississippi and grew up in Northeast Florida. You know, I'm not, I know there are other people that are a lot better and I'm just doing what I can do and I'm just going to let, the uh, Lord knows what I have to bring to the table and I just ask Him to bless it all. Well, that sounds real humble. <laughs> but, and it can be humble. But that must never be a smokescreen for laziness. That's good. That must never be a, 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 a cop-out for growing cold in an art that God has called you to practice. It's, it's not just a calling to fulfill. Preaching is an art. Preaching can be improved. Preaching can be tweaked. Preaching can, can, can get better. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't get better just through experience. It requires working on it. And in the same way that as believers we never stop growing, that is true of preaching. Yes, sir. You never stop, stop growing as a communicator of God's Word. So here, here's what... Uh, like, like, I'll be honest with you. I was at my last church in Florida. I was pastor for 15 years, just shy of it. And, you know, I, after 15 years, you kind of, you know, uh, you learn to get comfortable with the congregation. But I was, I was still changing because I came out of, you know, a very conservative background. I, the church where I came to Christ was, was half independent Baptist, you know, fire-breathing, King James, and I, I cut my teeth on that kind of passion and strong convictions. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't, don't go to the movies. You know, all that kind of stuff. And that, and that kind of affected me. Bill Hybels is going to hell, Rick Warren's going to hell. You know, it's all that. <laughs> <laughs> anything, anything contemporary or seeker was of the devil. <laughs> and then I, I went to Criswell College and, you know, was fortified a little bit there in Southeastern. And uh, Dr. Patterson, Paige Patterson, had a big and profound influence on me, and I uh, love him to this day. Uh, but as I was down there at my last church, I started realizing Orlando is not the Bible Belt. By the way, I don't know where the Bible Belt is anymore. It's, I think somebody unbuckled it. But, the, but Orlando was a very cosmopolitan area, and I was still preaching like it was 1985 in, in downtown Jacksonville. And, and so the Hispanic population was exploding. The influx of Northerners, many of whom were nominal Catholics, were trying to reach. And um, I started becoming more what's called missional. I read a book by Ed Stetzer called Breaking the Missional Code, and it started rethinking how I communicated. And we started changing our service a little bit and trying to become more, you know, bridged not only the, the spiritual gap, but the, the church culture gap with, with secular culture. All that to say, I came to First Baptist Atlanta and I'd just gone through this, this metamorphosis and I communicated and Dr. Stanley said, the reason I'm bringing you here is I need you to just get them fired up for me. He said, uh, you know, I'm getting older and I'm more conversational and our, the church there is about 40% African American. He says, uh, we need more passion. Uh, he said, I want you to preach to the church and I want you to light it up. <laughs> so I'm like, I, you know, I've just come through this whole. I started to dress down. I started to kind of come out, sit on a stool, you know, kind of talk, lean on the table, have the talks, put it all up on the screen. And now I've reverted back to, all right, 
And so I've gone back to my beginning in a way, hopefully it's balanced with some more grace, but I'm like, Lord, why did, why did I go through that whole change down there to come up here and be told, preach to the church, light them up. And uh, so, you know, there might come a time when I have Oh, one Sunday, you know, if, if, at First Baptist, they preach back to you. I mean, it's a yeah. cultural experience, and it's not always been that way. But they'll preach back to you. They'll stand up and, you know, shout. And uh, One day I was preaching on the triumphal entry, and I said, they cast their outer garments on that cobblestone street. And I took my coat off and threw it down the aisle, and people started jumping up. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, the truth be told, the truth be told that, that, that that's more of who I am. That's more of who I am. But here, here's what here's what I realized. I can't just say this is who I am. Take me as I am. Becoming better means adapting to where you are. Yeah. It means knowing the audience, knowing the context. Yeah. You know, knowing the demography, not only of church but community, knowing the people that you're not only going to naturally preach to because they come every week but who are the people you'd like to have coming every week mm -hmm. the, the unsaved mm -hmm. and what kind of experience do you want to create for your members who bring unchurched people right. so you're constantly thinking about this 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 battle of right am i right, That's right. preaching to the grounded believer That's right. but also keeping it reachable enough those cookies on the lower shelf enough for the marginal Carnal Christian or the unbeliever—that right. is a big battle, isn't it? Yes. yes. Because all the legalists are out there saying, "Well, I didn't really get fed. Your message was all evangelistic, and I really wanted some exegesis." Have you ever had anybody tell you? <laughs> <laughs> I want to say, "Go home and feed." Right. <laughs> we got souls to save up here. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's not that we just feed you and take you down with an oxygen tank on your back and go scuba dive. We're gonna snorkel this morning. Right. Right. There you go. We're gonna snorkel. We don't need to go down. Besides that nitrogen will get in your blood if you go through this. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Don't, be careful about getting too comfortable with your preaching. Be careful about getting too satisfied with what you know about Scripture. And also this, when you rely too much on wells that you've already dug. That's a good word there. Which, what, is, what am I talking about? That's sermons you've already preached and filed away for later retrieval. <laughs> <laughs> preach it brother preach it that's right you better be careful when you start relying on old oil that's been up in the cupboard too long you see uh, one of my one of my you, you think about coming from where I was to here 15 years of digitized outlines and sermons but I, I realized it's a different congregation. Same texts. The, 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 the word doesn't change, but how we wrap it, package it, communicate it must. Yeah. And I said, Lord, I don't want to rely on yesterday's oil. I want fresh oil. So I've had to discipline myself to keep digging. Even revisiting passages that I thought I'd already interpreted and exegeted, thought I knew. No, keep going back. Right. Stagnation's when I stop growing, when I stop working on it. 
and when I lose my passion for the fresh touch of God on my preaching. Mm. And I didn't realize it, but coming here really exposed that I, even though I had morphed and changed a lot, I'd got too comfortable. And standing, uh, you know, in his pulpit has caused me to realize I gotta, I gotta improve my preaching game. Still need the power of God, not self-reliant, not cocky, but it's time to look at how I do this. And from a guy who has a global reach, I have learned a lot sitting on the front row about 75% uh, of the year on Sundays. And that'll bless your heart too. Mm -hmm. When you know you're called to preach, mm -hmm. but you're on the front row right. taking notes. Yes, not right. just once, but twice. <laughs> <laughs> Three-fourths of the year. Wow. Three-fourths of the year. That's hard on Easter too, I'll tell you. Mm -hmm. How many <coughs> called by God wants to stand up and shout, he's alive on Easter, right? That's right, that's right. But not me. Anyway, the point is... <laughs> I told you it wasn't going to get too cathartic, but I just... All right. So here's what I want to tell you that helps me. Read books about preaching. Good, that's good. You stop reading, you stop growing. It's that simple. Read books about communication in general, not just preaching. See what others have to say about communicating. Because you don't have to be a preacher to be a good communicator. They're just basic tools about how to convey information to people in an inspiring way. Um, listen to other communicators. Just so you know, I, I listen to certain podcasts and I watch, I go to certain websites and sometimes I'll just hear about somebody in even Georgia somewhere. I'll walk on a website, go to the media archives, resources, wherever they have it housed. I'll watch a lot of guys preach. I just want to learn. Mm -hmm. Somebody told me about a guy who's just, he's like, it's like they put Johnny Hunt and Andy Stanley in a blender and made a smoothie out of them. He's up in um, uh, London, Kentucky. A friend of mine named John Cross told me about him. I've been watching him. It's crazy. The guy's amazing. I mean, that's a pretty good combination. The yeah. effective communication skill of Andy with the fiery, conservative theology of a Johnny. I, I, I'm talking about this guy looks like a, 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 a Johnny Stanley smoothly. All right, so um, <laughs> another thing I've done that's helpful is um, watching TED Talks. Yes. They, you gotta yes. get it in 20 minutes. <laughs> and they stand up there yes. without notes. And it's great to watch them. Some of the topics, you know, you just say, I'm not gonna watch that one, but. There are some great topics on, you know, bodily gestures, hand motions, intonation, and, and sometimes length of presentation. There are all kinds of practical things about communication in a venue for communication. I enjoy watching those because it doesn't require a lot of investment. But here's what I want to say to you. When it comes to not letting your inadequacy become the scapegoat for stagnation, focus is the most important value for the preacher. Focus. Your focus determines your priority. Your focus eliminates your distractions. Think about it. What you focus on, you choose to focus on. Your focus says this matters most. Not only that, but focus eliminates <coughs> things that are not your priority. Sometimes they need eliminating, at other times they need relegating to a subservient role. But I remember Dr. Stanley telling me what he loves about photography, he's an avid photographer, is that with a zoom lens, 
He says, I can look at a panoramic view and there's a mountain range and a still pond in which it's reflected. And there's a tributary stream flowing down the side of this mountain. And there's a, you know, there's a moose over here. And he said, but right here in front of me is a beautiful little flower. And he says, I have this beautiful backdrop but with a zoom lens, I can cut everything out of the picture that I don't want. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, I thought about, that is a great lesson for preaching. Because my problem is not figuring out what to talk about. My problem is figuring out what to leave out. That's exactly People who've heard me a lot tell you that's a problem. <laughs> so focus determines priority, but it also eliminates things that should not be in view. Focus increases concentration, and focus builds momentum. So it determines priority. It eliminates distractions. It increases concentration, and it builds momentum. Now here are the problems with focus. First of all, when you don't have a focus. And this affects your preaching. When your life has no focus, because preaching is not a priority, therefore preparation is not in view. Yeah. Where you zoom in on the study and prayer time, which means pushing things out of the lens, when you have no focus, you have no momentum. You're just like water that gets poured on a flat surface and it just flows to the lowest places. That's not focus. Here's another focus problem when you have the wrong focus. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you in my, in, in my first two churches how many hours I spent thinking we had to have the slickest bulletin and reviewing it and doing clip art and critiquing everything they produce. Do you know where bulletins land? <laughs> in the trash can. Uh, yeah. And I just think about having a focus on that for so long, I have forfeited so much time in preparation on things that don't matter. I'm not saying a bulletin doesn't matter, but somebody else can figure that out. I can feed them ideas, but it cannot take the place of my investment in the Scripture. You've got to decide what your focus is going to be. And then... So no focus, wrong focus, and trying to focus on too much. Mm -hmm. Same thing about the PowerPoint, right? That's right. Same thing about the PowerPoint. Because how many people a year from now are going to talk about that PowerPoint? Dis here's, here's another thing. Distracted focus is one of the greatest causes of ineffectiveness. One of the greatest causes of ineffectiveness is that and I could give you example after example. Scattered thinking produces little momentum and little impact. And another thing about distracted focus is it is one of the greatest causes of failure. If you look in the Bible, where did people sin? Distracted focus. If you look at pastors, where do they miss the mark? Distracted focus. If you look at why so many people fail in life, it's they got distracted from where the focus should be. And we've talked about that. Now, briefly, I want to give you uh, some suggested resources. Um, a couple of years ago, I was sent on a, on a vacation. 
there's a back. <laughs> there have been times in my time at First Baptist when. Yeah, what I'm about to show. Yeah. So I went down to uh, uh, Sarasota and stayed for several days. It's one of my favorite places. And I went to a Barnes and Noble, and I was just I was really discouraged. I didn't like being sent away, but I went. It was of God. God's providential. Got trustees in charge. And I went to Barnes and Noble. Went over the business section. I'm not one to go browse the business section of Barnes and Noble. And this book was the only one left. I pulled it out. I don't know why, except that God led me to. I went and devoured it, and I've read it about four times. It's one of the greatest books I think that's ever been written about focus. It's real easy. If you've ever seen a Keller Williams Realty sign, Keller Williams Realty, Gary Williams was a uh, Gary Keller was a co-founder of Keller Williams, and he's the author of this book. But uh, it called? the one thing it's called the one thing, and who's the author? by Gary Keller. There's also a podcast called The One Thing, and uh, yes. Jeff Woods, I think, co-authored that. Maybe? Yes. Right? No, uh, Jay Papasan. Okay, well, Jeff Woods leads that, but it's tremendous. I listen to it all the time. So but it's all about that idea of the one thing. It's very slick. Podcast. Yep. It's called The One Thing. Okay, so remember that, The One Thing, book and podcast. <coughs> and what he challenges you to do is to figure out what your one thing is. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the fact of the matter. No pastor will ever be able to say preaching is my only thing. <coughs> But it can be your one thing that you make the most important. You will always have to multitask. You will always, and you should always want to shepherd your people, interact with your people, disciple men, equip your staff. You know, I'm, I've, I've got several mentoring groups I meet with, and we have a book reading program, leadership development thing I'm doing with our educational team, and then about 70 of our fuller team. So I love leadership building and, and uh, challenging people to expand horizons and moving people you know, into position for God to move them into greatness, fulfilling their potential. I love that kind of thing. This book is awesome. And what it will challenge you to do is to declare what your one thing is and then to build your life around it. Mm -hmm. So get ready to be challenged, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not a condemning kind of thing. It makes you want to figure out how to make what needs to be your one thing, your one thing. Here's another one I want to recommend to you. <coughs> Secrets of Dynamic Communication. It is written by a Christian comedian named Ken Davis. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of him? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah he's, um, he's, he's hilarious. He's got a real dry wit. He's not a John Christ or a Tim Hawkins, but he's, you know, he's, he's, he was kind of a John the Baptist for those guys. This book, I'm going to tell you, I make a strong statement. This is the best book that I recommend to anybody about how to communicate better. Hmm. This, look at, it's just, it's, it's not hard to, to read. And um, it's, this is, to tell you how much I believe in this book, I tried to get copies to give everybody here. And I've worked for two weeks and we can't get them. <laughs> I should have started longer, but they're all on back order. Amazon only had four. I thought I better not bring four because that wouldn't be fair. I don't know how I'd give away just four. But I'm telling you, if I get the shipment that we tried to get, if you contact me later, I'll mail it to you for free on my dime just so you can have it. But the essence of this book is it teaches, and I've heard so many preachers that this would help, it, to distill your sermon into one sentence. Mm -hmm. And um, I was invited to speak some time ago, some time back, and um, I said, what do you want me to speak on? And the person 
said this, 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 and this. I'm thinking, that person doesn't know what they want me to speak on. It's like a guy texted me this week, a friend of mine pastors a church, he said, hey man, looking for a guy who can do education, first impressions, assimilation, and next steps, and pastoral care. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah, I'm like, who is, that sounds like a sermon <laughs> without direction. This, this guy tells you, narrow it, one sentence, and everything in the presentation must support that summary sentence. And so our, uh, our whole discipleship team just went through this, and we're getting ready to do five-minute presentations, critique one another, because really the key to a lot of effectiveness in ministry is, is communication. Yeah, that's right. Because um, I can tell you, I was just going on a uh, sabbatical that I was directed to take. <laughs> and, uh, and we had people preach for me from the staff. Well, guess what? Our people are honest about what they think about the different people who filled in. Four different guys, four different Wednesday nights. And, and the, the, uh, I've gone back and listened to the things, and i got to sit down and you got to be careful talking to a preacher about their preaching. Mm -hmm. But this is it right here. Lack of focus all over the place. Do you want to fire buckshot or a bullet when you mm -hmm. preach? Right. This is a bull. Then the last thing is, this is a book that came out in 07 that really made an impact in my previous uh, church there in Florida. It's called The Big Idea by Dave Ferguson. There's another book that's comparable to it by a guy named Larry Osborne called Sticky Churches mm -hmm. or Sticky Church. What is it about? It's about the pastor's sermon becoming the, the core for the curriculum of small groups. The, the sermon idea gets fleshed out in small groups or Sunday school. Now, what this, um, this book was all about, he talked about how in a church culture built upon multiple opportunities, going back to the 50s, where you would have Sunday school, then preaching or worship. Then you come back on Sunday night for training union or you know discipleship training. Then you have a Sunday night service. So by the time the family goes to bed on Sunday night, how many ideas have they heard? Mm -hmm. Because the children have a different lifeway curriculum. The youth were on you know something from group publishing. They're not on Lifeway. They're too cool for. It. Then the uh, the adults are on Explore the Bible. They want you know our our life and work. You know they did all those different tracks. And some classes are on Explore the Bible, and others are on Life and Work, and others are on Convention Uniform. I don't even know the nomen. But but huh? Gospel Project. Gospel Project. Yeah, that's it. I've heard about. It. So you you get in the car, and I know. Rare is a nuclear family driving off property anymore. But mom says, well, what did y'all learn? Mm -hmm. Well, if you had one in the third grade, she learned something. You have one in middle school, he learned something. One in high school got something else. And then if mom and dad went to a separate class, they all got something. Then the preacher preached on something else, but the music minister preached halfway in his class. <laughs> yeah. And then we saw a video about shoeboxing. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. you got a, and he says, no wonder discipleship is failing yes. because it spreads so wide. So his contention is, what if, driven by the series that the preacher plans, the textually based messages with collaboration from the team, <coughs> where you map out a series, and this forces advanced preparation, and you theme not just the sermon 
or the music of the worship or Sunday school, but you theme an experience from drive up off the street. Yeah. Where if you, uh, you know, for instance, we, we, our first one was with um, Exodus and how with all the competing signs and messages we have, like where Pharaoh told the midwives to kill the babies, we've got to decide which way we're going. Are we going to follow the signage or go the way God says? So somebody that you know that knew somebody knew somebody got a bunch of old discarded street signs and mailed them up all over the campus. So when you pull in, there were all these weird street signs, and they decorated the stage, and it was all about whose sign will you follow. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds kind of basic, but we really got into that in my previous church. Now it wouldn't work in my context now because it's all about the camera, and it works for the people at the church. Mm -hmm. But what I love about this is it makes the sermon the driving force for the discipleship of the whole church. And it takes it from sermon to Bible study and interactive conversation to family-based activities to follow up on the message to theming even visually with your graphics on the screen and your decorations on the stage. And even you can dress people in costume to fit the theme out on the parking lot waving as people pull on board. And all that does is it magnifies the preaching moment all the more. And it, I'm going to tell you, when we were doing this in my last church and following this, I mean, he tells you how to do it, how to organize your teams, your staff, your lay people. It forced me to plan way out in the preaching because I had the accountability of the staff expecting me to feed what the next series was going to be. So those are just three great tools could work in any size church, no matter the resources or the number of people on your team. But all of these help you in the struggle with inadequacy. They're just three little resources among many that have been a big impact on my life to help me take what I do and my calling to the next level. So I thought what we would do, they said uh, it was you know, uh, 1045 to noon. I thought I would just stop uh, here and just see if we had any contribution from you about anything that has been shared or any Q&A that you'd like to have or anything you'd like to ask someone else who's here like um, one of our representatives from the board. I just want to say that everything that you said today was what God revealed to me on my way here and a part of what I started writing before you even spoke and so it's a lot of confirmation. I myself am not a preacher yet, but I know that God has been calling me in that direction and I'm trying to walk in that way. And so being here today just really helped me out tremendously. I um, attend Berean Christian Church and we do do the big ideal where we, every fifth Sunday, we have a series that we lead up to in the message and the sermon and the songs and everything leads up. And they even do little skits and every Sunday you get a clip in the fifth Sunday months you get a clip of what's going to be happening and talk about it. And then the fifth Sunday, you get it all. So, and they go big, that great, the whole church and everything. So, so you've seen that. Yes. Put, you know, done with, done effectively. There. Yes. Great. That's great. Thank you for that. Okay. Uh, in the course of your preaching and your planning, your preparation and your delivery, uh, in regards to inadequacy especially, uh, how do you see the role of the Holy Spirit in that? Well, um, there's several ways you can look at it. One is that you know He can certainly speak to you and guide you based on how He channels your your thoughts about 
where you where your interests are in scripture also current events he can um, use current events to call us to address from scripture things that are going on in the world and I, I often sense him speaking that way but I've, I've also learned more and more I've moved away from the Moses syndrome from just having to go up on the mountain and come down and tell everybody else what he told me and realizing that if I rely on others they can hear you know the Lord can use their counsel to speak into my sermon mapping and my direction and I've, I've also found that in a church setting where you do have staff members many times they have their finger on the pulse better of, of the needs of the church than I will because of their uh, interaction with people so I, I'm real careful to try to listen to what he might be speaking to me personally and also to think about how I'm led to respond to current things happening but then to say what do you all think about dot 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 or not to resist when someone says have you ever thought about preaching on thus and so I think it would help our church right now so I don't know if that is helpful or not okay hey, Dr. George, I got a couple of thoughts to ask you about um, when you were giving us your talk today and thank you for it and the insight and wisdom you were talking about when we engage the text it happens to be addressing something you counsel somebody with during the week um, how did you deal with that did you maybe make a heads up call or say hey by the way uh, God's led me to a text I'm going to be preaching on this week that maybe uh, it may be sensitive to you but it's not directed to you did you give a heads up or you just kind of just hang on to what happened. You, you follow what I'm asking? Yeah, I have done that. I can't think of specific examples, but I know I have uh, either while they were in my office or I was in their home, said now just so you know, we're in this series and uh, I, I'm, this may come up, but just know you're not being singled out. I know I've done it on Sunday morning a few times where I pulled someone aside before a service, said I know we just talked about this on the phone this week. This is not aimed at you. This was already in the hopper. But I do think it's helpful to put a disclaimer on it so they don't have to sit there through the whole sermon. I mean, a lot of people feel that way anyway if they've had no interaction with you all week. That's just how the whole it is. Yeah, right. How did you know what I mean? That's right. But I can will, though, as far as addressing them beforehand. I mean, was it palatable or... I don't remember. The only thing I remember is times when people have been upset because I didn't I don't so that may I guess it means every time I forewarned someone it was received well but I just remember a few times where people were hurt because they thought it was aimed okay thank you yes sir thanks for the question okay the thing about that you have to know that if God is using you as a vessel if God is already showing you and revealing to you what's within them or other people right so how do you teach them that in case you can't speak to them about it before it comes up, how do you teach the congregation that God has given you insight on things that you're going to be talking about, but it's not directly geared towards one person? Yeah. It doesn't seem about one person. How do you do that? If, like, like, say the person came to you and you hadn't written a sermon yet, but God had it in your heart, and then you felt like, you know, that's the confirmation, and you go off of it, and... A lot of that you just have to leave up to. I think, though, this challenge speaks to that whole inadequacy factor. Lord, I don't know what to do in this situation. 
you know there are people out there, this is a sensitive subject, I just need you to prepare their hearts to help them see spiritually. I'm not here to inflict injury, I'm here to help. So prepare them before they come in. Yeah. So a lot of this is just our, our abandonment to God to be sovereign and providential yeah. in the preaching process. But when we have a, a very, like, you know, I'm just saying, if you have somebody come meet with you that very week, you know, and she caught her husband looking online at something he shouldn't have been looking at, and you know you're preaching on purity the next Sunday, it's, and you, you're probably going to work a statistic in there about this is more a problem for men than women, that's probably a good time to put a qualifier <coughs> that I didn't design this sermon because of what you shared and not my office. Yeah. I was going to add because that's happened happened to me. I'm counseling somebody, yeah. and I'm literally preaching on what they're talking about that Sunday. So I I was always two weeks ahead with the complete manuscript. So what I would say is, hey, heads up! I'm literally preaching on what we're talking about, and I can pull it up on my computer right now and show it to you. Yeah. So when I stand up preaching, I'm not talking about you specifically. Yes. And that's for whatever reason that's been extremely helpful. But also, you know, to your point, confirms in my heart, that's what I need to be preaching. Right? Mm-hmm. I need to, like the Lord has put that together specifically. Because, you know, that's not the only couple dealing with it. That's mm-hmm. not the only person dealing with it. Like you said, there's a whole bunch dealing with it. Right? So you're just putting it out there. Right. And from my experience as well, like my primary style, what I want to do is preach expository messages. So I tell them, listen, we're going to go through, you know, books and verse by verse and line by line. And we're going to need everything head on. I, mean, I don't know about you guys, but like in my uh, lost territory of Georgia, you cannot mention John Calvin. Um, you just you can't even mention that. In, in the, in the, you know, and, and like so, I will say, um, you know, Calvin's not in the Bible, but there are words in there that some camps think they have a, a monopoly on. Uh, and so we're going to deal with these words because they're in here. They're not my words; they're God's words. Right, like election or yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, any of those things. And like yeah. it's, it's crazy that. You know, that's, and I know that's like a, a time bomb. Now that's just like let's just mic drop and walk out. But um, I mean, yeah. I think if I, if I like that transparency too, and say, "Listen, we're, we're going uh, verse by verse. We're going to deal with some of these things, and some things that we may disagree on." Right. Uh, and we yeah. have to, you know, this is God's word, it's not my word. Yeah. Those, those hot button topics, not just culturally, but theologically. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. yeah. So, just like you see, this coming Wednesday. Uh-huh. How far down the road are you with that message? And are you already, or do you have laid out a schedule or another topic or this passage for the next Wednesday? I'm looking at that <coughs> focus part. Right now on Wednesdays, I'm in a series on Galatians. Mm-hmm. So I just, I did two on chapter one, and I start chapter two this coming Wednesday. I started working on that, a little bit of a cheat here. I had to prepare sessions for the annual senior adult retreat up at the Cove, the Billy Graham right. Cove, and I did a four-part overview of Galatians up there. And that was kind of my seed investment for the series I wanted to do at FBA starting in August. Okay. So, so you know where you're going. I'm just yes. Yeah. But now Sunday's different story. I just found out, you know, four days ago, I've got the first three weeks of September. Usually I'll get an orphan Sunday right. or twins. 
Rarely triplets. So it's hard, to, it's hard to go and have a series for two weeks, you know what I'm saying? So, no, but I'm grateful for anything I, I get the privilege sure. of doing. It, it's, I'd just like to use humor to say it's hard to plan when you don't know until four days, but you know, you get out, you get the calendar. But on Wednesdays, it's different. So I'm planning, I like to stay out on Wednesdays. I like to map out a year right. before, by the calendar. Okay. And then, you know, my ability to prepare in advance the outlines varies based on what I'm doing. Okay. My role at First Baptist is not titled it, but I'm really an executive pastor. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, staff, budget, facilities, conflict resolution, all that stuff. That one thing book, you know, I don't want to read that right now. <laughs> I don't want to read it right now because in the role I'm in, it's wow. very difficult wow. to have that focus time. But, but that, that's a long well, and, and the reason I ask that, a lot of preachers that I work with, pastors that I work with, a lot of times they're just trying to keep their heads above water. Yes. Just like you're saying. Right. And the sad thing is the one thing, the, the preaching part, even though that's their passion, it often suffers. And and so there's not, for those who, who realize their inadequacy, there's not trying to schedule, for instance, when you say you plan a year out. I'm, first of all, I want to know who are you and what planet. But but I understand the, the value of that. I can Some of us can plan out three months, six months, a year is a, is a stretch. But but my main thing is, for instance, like Wednesday night, Wednesday's coming, and so I, I want to know when have you got it pressed and packed, ready to go, and you just review it, your final polish before Wednesday. It, is it helpful for you to have it in the crop part of your mind previous? That's what I'm asking. The value of that. Well, it's definitely helpful. And, and another thing I could add about inadequacy is that I've never preached a sermon I thought was ready to preach. Oh, that's good word. <laughs> I, that's I, really good word I have never thought, I'm done with that. <laughs> I will be shooting the media people notes. I need you to alter the wording on this point. I'll be doing that 10 minutes before church starts. That's just a, right. I'm just being transparent. So, I, and I've never felt one, I preached one I felt totally good about. Yeah, that's yeah, good. That's good. So to me, there's never been one that I wouldn't want to pick up even that night when I get home, Wednesday right. night, that I and wouldn't want will. to go back and rework. And you will. Yeah. 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 So I've never been one that can just have it all mapped out, released, sent to media, and I don't look at it again until that afternoon. No. I'm constantly saying, I don't feel, this just didn't yeah, quite. Yeah. I'm just still wrestling with it all the way to the good. This That's probably not good, but um, I, I, I've struggled with this, um, and probably I don't know get some insight, not you know from from you. Sometimes uh, I hear other preachers and, and oh, use the same sermon wherever you go. I, I just can't do that. Mm. It's something we call it a sugar stick. Yeah, it's something that I need something fresh from the Lord and, yeah. and that inadequacy and dependence and grabbing to God. I need you today more than ever. I need a message and just the prep time. And because when the time comes to release, you don't feel satisfied, but you know that it came from the Lord because it's fresh manna that you had in over to the people. So, yeah, what is your thought on that? Re if you want to call it a recycled message that we probably studied before and yeah well one of my mentors is Dr. Jerry Vines and uh, he's, he is one of the most anointed uh, preachers you know I, I mean he shaped my 
view of God and, and was the most instrumental tool, you know, God used to call me to preach. He has sugar sticks um, where he'll preach it. You know, uh, one of his was ba the Baptist in his Bible. I don't know if you ever heard of that one from 1987. Mm -hmm. But there's an anointing that he has where I don't think he sees it as just resting on laurels. I think even when he's going to preach it verbatim to the degree he can do that, he's still relying on God okay. to breathe <coughs> fresh life into it even if he's preached it. So, I think you can still repeat a message you've preached as long as you're not saying, I've got this, I don't need you to help right. me do this. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. So, we don't have much appreciation.